1: Reprojecting the 2023 first and second round. That's what we're going to do today on Stealing Bananas. Brought to you by WinBet. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. Sean, one of the listeners' favorite shows of the offseason every year, we always talk about it, is when we project the first and second rounds for the following year in redraft leagues. We thought it'd be pretty fun after uh, an interesting start to this season. A lot of guys hitting we talked on recent shows about how it's going to be deeper into the second round next year because a lot of the top picks this year, unlike last year have hit and, and held those positions. We also have some young guys breaking out and wanting you know, needing to be you know, in the discussion as well and, and moving up into that position. So we thought it'd be fun to reproject them here in season, kind of see where we're at, what we think now. When we did this exercise in August, we had the same top five in pretty different orders, but it had a lot of the guys that were in the top five in 2022 drafts, Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and then we both had Kyle Pitts in the top five because we do tight end premium here. That's a name that neither of us has projected for next year. We had some guys like Javante Williams in the, you know, coming in after that. I had him at sixth. You had him at uh, ninth. Obviously, his injury makes him an interesting discussion point. We both had Brees Hall in our first round. That looked like it was definitely going to be true and might still be true, even though he was injured early. Some other names that probably won't be in our reprojection. J.K. Dobbins was a guy that was in both of our second rounds. But we, you know, we, we have some other interesting guys in here too. I'm just looking at last year's DeAndre Swift, Travis Etienne, were guys that we thought would would definitely make a step. Well, Swift already going pretty high, but maybe make a little step up. Etienne certainly take a jump up, and he has Jalen Waddle for both of us, and we both have him again this time around. Fun discussion, fun to look at what we have already done. Includes. Najee Harris completely dropping out for you, which looks completely, you know, very, very accurate. I moved him back to 210 in my projection of the future season. Still would have been a big drop off. Uh, we knocked out some of the veteran running backs as well, but we have some of them back here. So, a lot of fun stuff to discuss as we reproject it. You can go back and find the earlier episode and our whole thoughts on that. Or I think it was two episodes. We did the first round and the second round and second ep- separate episodes last time. But kind of just recalibrating where we were at then. I do think there are some big hits from then, also some misses. Excited to talk with you about where we are now. Yeah, it's
2: been a fun season. You know, some specific daggers that we're frustrated by, but big picture to have the stars hit and to have those first couple of rounds be so strong, I think that that has been a lot of fun. It's crazy to think just how big the contrast has been. Colin Kelly and I just did a best pick in each of the eight first eight rounds episode it's not surprising that the there are a lot more good picks early but yeah it really does reinforce how tricky rounds you know 4 through 10 can be how important structural drafting is how important just you know hitting on a few of those guys is but then this is always so much fun cuz it's a look back at what we were doing it's also a projection for the second half Of 2022, which is always fun. And then it's kind of thinking through how we think drafters will react big picture to the trends from this season. And I do think that one of the things that will happen is that with a lot of veterans hitting, and I think that the difficulties that offenses have faced this year, all of the uncertainties and the lack of continuity on so many teams has made it more difficult for some of the young guys to be incorporated in successfully right away. I think the second half of the season will see some big moves that change things a lot, but I do think that the veterans are going to hold their own in ways that in many years that they don't. So it'll be interesting to go through with you which guys you think are going to hold in which ones we think that might not. I think the biggest hit for us and the most fun hit for us from the preseason is projecting ETN to be a huge riser and projecting Harris to be a big faller. We got that particular one very right. Obviously, the tight end pick not as successful. One of the things that's interesting here as we think rest of season for 2022 is that in my Projection for next year. I had Jefferson and Chase at the top with CMC and Taylor right after him. You had it the reverse. And yet, in our current projections now, I have McCaffrey back to the top with Jefferson right behind him, whereas you have Jefferson and Cup and then McCaffrey. So we kind of flipped on where we think Jefferson and McCaffrey are going to go versus preseason, which is, I mean, it's not a huge deal because we have it more or less even, I would guess. And yet it is a little bit of a flip. So that's kind of fun. It
1: is. It, it, and it's funny because I i mean, I definitely react to some of some of your good arguments uh, at times. I think you do as well. And so it, there's, there's maybe an element of that. There's another one I noticed where you had ETN 110 when we did this in August. I had him 202. In our redo here, I've skyrocketed ET, ETN up to 105. You have him at 108. So he's only moved up two spots for you, even though he's having an, an incredible season this year. I'm now higher on him in my projection, whereas you were more aggressive back in August. A couple of those little flips that are kind of funny, but I think you've made really good points that next year could be a year where we see a wide receiver go 101. I think based on the overall running back production near the top and, and sort of who has hit, particularly with it not being Jonathan Taylor, and with the way that McCaffrey looks like he's going to hit now, but that being as a result of a tough start in Carolina, but getting traded. And then how good Jefferson and cup have been from the expected spots at the top that I do think the market might be ready for another wide receiver one on one. And, and that's how I projected Jefferson cup McCaffrey, you went McCaffrey, Jefferson cup. We have the same top three this time around a little different from that point on. What's your uh, thought on CMC one-on-one though? The two questions that we had to
2: really answer for him is that could he go through any stretch Healthy, and once we got to see a decent amount from him, would he be the same guy? I know that in the last couple of years, during those times when he has been healthy, he's looked good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the accumulation of these very, relatively minor injuries isn't going to cause some issues. I mean, there were things with Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson where you look at those and say. I mean, they should probably be able to come back and they weren't able to. Todd Gurley, a little bit different. His uh, more sort of chronic, debilitating type of injury, maybe not a surprise that his career fell off. But you want to see him both healthy and looking electric. And then you have to answer all of those questions about structurally. Are the Panthers going to take it away from him? I really felt like, and and this is, I really wrote a couple of articles around the time when he was traded. We did a full show on him. I loved all of your points. They were very enthusiastic during that show. I think that the move to San Francisco is gigantic for him. Whereas if you are close on Christian McCaffrey versus Justin Jefferson and Cooper Cup, and he's with the Panthers, then I think it's very easy to, you know, kind of use a discretion as the better part of valor approach, even though it's still an aggressive pick to take Jefferson or cup or, and I still think it's very possible that Tyreek Hill or even Stefan Diggs a tiny little chance for Jamar Chase, if I've actually moved way down. But if he comes back and is able to answer the questions about that hip and blows up for multiple 200-yard games down the stretch, which with Jamar Chase, you could easily do. I mean, he's even a possibility there. I, you could see a wide receiver at the top if McCaffrey is in a bad offense. If he's in a good offense,
1: you got to go with the guy who can score 30 points a game. Yeah, and so one of the really... Interesting ways, I think, to look at this, because we, I think we've gone sort of spot by spot before, but we have some different reactions. So you mentioned moving Chase down quite a bit. I think maybe we almost need to go player by player a little bit. I still have, for example, Jonathan Taylor at fourth. I think that's probably wrong. As I sit here and look at yours, you have moved him all the way back to 110. I have Chase at seventh. You have Chase at 111. You still have Kelsey at 105. I've dropped him to 202. because, And we are using tight end premium, but I think drafters will be a one more year wary of his health. You still have Eckler at 106. He's going to be 28, if I'm not mistaken, at the start of next year. He's been fantastic so far this year. I think there's always a question of how much of that is his very specific workload. He's a very good player too. But I dropped him all the way to 112. So we have this... Top half of the first round is a little bit different for both of us in terms of the guys that kind of held on and the guys that fell. The one guy that we have both have in this range is you have him at four. I have him at six. He's a big riser. I actually had him at three at one point when I was playing around with this, I wound up settling at six. I feel like that middle of the first round is one big tier. So like I mentioned, not necessarily loving Taylor at four, and when, as soon as I see yours and see how much lower you have, Taylor, I'm like, I should have this guy higher than Taylor. It's Tyreek Hill. You have him at 104. I have him at 106. Going to be in the same offense. Going to be in the same system that has been a smash success in year one. He's going to be a, a, a top six pick next year. And, and I think you're probably right. he's going to be a top five or top four pick.
2: The issue with Hill and I considered him all the way at the very top because I mean, he's obviously on a record breaking trajectory from a yardage perspective through nine weeks we have some of these elements and and we've mentioned a little bit on the show before the difficulty of trying to get some of these sideline targets to Devonte adams that were evident again in the second half of the raiders game this last week with the contrast to hill and waddle who are just dominating over the middle and how much easier it is to complete those targets. And yet they're also having that run after catch opportunity. I was really struck by TJ Hawkinson going down the middle for the Vikings when those sort of sideline targets, (laughs) with Jared Goff's ragged arm had not been as effective for him. I like that part. I do think that, and the reason that we both have Jefferson in the top two picks is he is such a high floor player and such a high ceiling player in that, it's difficult to see a T Higgins or a Jalen Waddle siphoning enough volume from him to do anything to his floor. And then the ceiling, I mean, the reason that Jefferson is actually just a tick down from these other guys in fantasy scoring is the touchdowns haven't come. He's going to go through a stretch at some point where he's finding the end zone every week. He has these multi-score games. He's going to have a, a 15 touchdown season. I think that drafters are going to be a little bit more skeptical of Hill and Chase with the other targets there than I personally would be. And so I think it's going to be a good environment to draft them again next year. I think they'll be among my top targets. Hill also, with the age element in addition to the competition from Waddle, I think keeps him from being
1: the 101, whereas that's exactly- if
2: exactly a couple years younger or Waddle weren't there, I mean, that's where he would be.
1: Yeah. That's exactly why I moved him from, from one Oh three back to one Oh six was it's tough for drafters. And when you get into projections and everything to have two receivers as high as well, frankly, as high as you have them. I think even Sean, you have Hill at one Oh four, you have Waddle at two Oh one. I have Hill at one Oh six and Waddle at two Oh four. And I mean, I'm, Originally had waddle around the one, two turn, but I I was thinking that exact same thing. I think that you you hit that on the head and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because they've been so good. It's been so concentrated. Their lines are both going to be so good this season in terms of their stats, but what is the market expectation for how the offense evolves? Will it just still flow through those two? Will people be willing to draft two guys, two receivers from the same team this high? I mean, Higgins uh, and, and Chase, you bring up were the closest example, Higgins never got up to the 204 type spot. The other reason that 204 is really interesting, I'm looking through here, Sean, we mentioned we have the same top three. The next spot where we have the same players through that spot is the 204. And I just mentioned, I felt like it was pretty flat through a lot of that range. It is interesting that we have the same players through 16 picks. And there's like a little bit of a drop off there from and and we both go different directions in terms of where we're at at the seventeenth pick at two oh five and how we fill out the rest of the first round from there. A lot of similar names on our list from that point on. But to that point, it looks like we have the same idea of like who are these top sixteen players, basically, right? the The early part of the first round through to the turn, it does make it even look right now. If you are drafting today, like the back end picks might be great because you know you're not going to get one of those top three talents. But we are very different on sort of the four, five, six, seven range. If you can pick in the one hundred nine to the one twelve, you're getting two of these players that, in some cases, I have down further and you have higher, or or vice versa. But the other players that we both have in this range are Kenneth Walker who I have all the way up at 109. You have a 203. Uh, Saquon Barkley, we both have. You have him at 107. I have him at 111, which is probably wrong on my part, as good as Barkley has been. I think you, I like your ranking more there. We both have digs about 109, 110. You have him 109, I have him 110. But interestingly, you have him 109 ahead of Chase. I have him 110 behind Chase. You have a few more running backs up ahead of him. I have Brees Hall. At 108, you have him at 112. He's another one in there. Mentioned Waddle. Both Kelsey and Mark Andrews. We have Andrews, both of us, in the early part of the second round. And then A.J. Brown at 201 and 202. That's our top 16. I think we've mentioned all the players at this point. But we have a lot of difference in terms of where we slot all these players from 104 to 204. And I would say, Sean, I think this was pretty clearly for me a cutoff from this point on. And had a hard time positioning that group. Yeah, you have the second half of the second round
2: does seem a little bit softer at this point, maybe not quite as deep as we were thinking about it a week ago. A little bit of that, maybe, that Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara maybe not looking that great in week nine. And one of the issues with these older backs is that it doesn't take much to knock them down. And that's kind of where we get to this question with Eckler and I really thought that we were going to see a little bit of deterioration with Kelsey, a little bit of deterioration with Eckler this year that would raise questions for the next season, but it's gone in the exact opposite direction for Kelsey. There have been some games that haven't been perfect. He actually did not play particularly well, except for the great catch late did not play particularly well against the Titans. Obviously he's getting a ton of defensive attention there, but the ability for that offense to be spectacular. And I have Mahomes creeping into the end of the second round, which is sort of an interesting question. We did the underdog resurrection drafts, and there were three quarterbacks going in the first round, which just seemed absolutely insane, and yet partially justified based on what we knew about the 2022 season. You're not chasing 2023 when you do those resurrection drafts. You're trying to figure out what's going to work for the rest of this year. With the offense looking that good, With Kelsey not really showing any signs of decline, but also the rest of the tight end position absolutely imploding. I think that his gap has gotten to be so extreme. And I would even include Andrews there. He was a tricky one for me where I think that he could fall to the end of the second round or even out of it. He's got to come back healthy now, and they've got to demonstrate their willingness to throw at least at a reasonable level. Or some of the reasons that we liked him and have exposure to him but didn't absolutely load up on him in the off season. Those questions are going to be even louder this next off season. Two of their last
1: three games, a pass rate, a called pass rate under 40%. So that's, that's the trend we're starting to see a little bit with them. That's concerning. It's brutal. And then you
2: take, take Eckler and he's the other one for me. That's really interesting. And I think that this is fun because you have to make sure you're constantly examining and not just, We talk a lot about making sure you understand the archetypes, make sure you understand what works from a big picture perspective, not just simply chasing what has happened previously and being very, I don't know if skeptical is exactly the right term, but being leery of and understanding what the probabilities are for some of the older players. At the same time, Eckler is averaging 25 points per game. Now there are some specific things that are happening that are boosting his numbers the rest of their receivers not being there, their desperation to to move the ball in any way, shape, or form through the air that are funneling a huge number of targets to him that probably aren't sustainable. But when I look at his scoring level and I look at his profile, that really is just so Marshall Falk and Christian McCaffrey-esque. We talk about the fact that Falk actually scored very well late into his career. Eckler, again, no signs of decline. An elite athlete, which is sometimes easy to forget – In a quarterback who is dominant. So you think about all of the different things that can raise both a floor and then give you this crazy ceiling. You're playing in an offense with Mahomes and on Eckler's side with Justin Herbert. There are some things there that protect these guys in a way that I don't know that some of the players in that, even in the early second round range, are necessarily protected the same way. Although some of those guys are. The interesting guys in terms of protection would be Jonathan Taylor, what is he going to have to deal with? Brees Hall, what's he going to have to deal with? And will he be healthy? And then Kenneth Walker for all of the excitement about the Seahawks this year. And I think there's reason to be really excited. I mean, Gino's been fantastic. But when you're talking about ultimate upside in the Seahawks offense with a guy who hasn't yet demonstrated, even though I think that he will, that receiving upside, I mean, the receiving, when you look at McCaffrey, you look at Eckler, you have to have that to score these massive numbers So those are are sort of the trade-offs that I'm looking at there, trying to figure out how I would price
1: it and how drafters will price it. I think that's – I mean, you made some really good arguments there, especially the Eckler scored 25 points per game. So you're saying me having him at 112 doesn't make a lot of sense when he's scoring at that level. I think that's absolutely accurate, and, and I definitely have him a little lower than I probably should here. I'm looking at Kelsey as another one that we both responded differently to It's kind of funny. You look back in August, Sean, because you mentioned, obviously, back in the offseason not being as sold on his role. We've talked about that throughout the season a little bit. You didn't have him in your top two rounds, and now in your update you have him fifth overall. That's a response to how well he's done. I think my rankings have been – I mean, to the extent that like you not having in the top two rounds might've been wrong, mine might be even wronger because I had him at 202 in August and somehow have him at 203 now. I've moved him down despite what he's done in season. Part of that is because of the emergence of guys like Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, feeling more comfortable dropping those guys in ahead of him. But I think all of the points you made about the, the weakness of the tight end position are absolutely right. In tight end premium, he still has to go higher than where I have him at 202. I think that's another one that you sold me on both of those very well. I, I will question him at 105, though, Kelsey, because he is going to be a year older. There are some concerns. I think he needs to go in the first round. I bet he I bet he's still towards the back end of the first round with the names that are still available here. In defense of the Taylor rank that I have at four, I think the lesson that drafters might learn from Barkley, who now I have at 11, and that doesn't really make a lot of sense. You have Barkley at 107. You have Taylor at 110. Probably Barkley should be going ahead of Taylor in this argument I'm going to make but I think people will learn from the Barkley case that even though he was hurt for a couple of years what he had shown us early in his career and what he was as a prospect and everything we knew and and you can say this about CMC as well was that if those guys could stay healthy they were still these elite talents that we need to value talent to a certain degree how good these players actually are as opposed to maybe projected workload and all those types of things whether they're going to get enough receptions that's a big knock on Taylor I think the Colts have to be better from a team perspective next year. I think people next offseason, despite Taylor having a little bit of an injury-riddled season this year, are going to look at him and not want to make the same mistake they made with Saquon Barkley. The reason I still have Taylor ahead of Barkley is Barkley, obviously showing us what he can do still at this age, but will be a little bit older than Taylor. I think people are still going to look at Taylor as this young, prime running back that lost the season due to injuries and an offense that was terrible, but has already shown enough that he was a 101 candidate in a season that's the same deal with barkley he was a 101 candidate once upon a time then he started getting hurt and we we're letting him fall to the second round i don't think you see taylor fall this far from a multi-season macro trend perspective that people are going to look at this like we made this mistake with barkley this guy's too good too talented too good of a prospect from day one showed it early in his career and just because he got hurt a little bit we let him go way later than he should have that was a big you know, point from 2022 on him. And also, like I said, McCaffrey, and I think it will be a lesson people learn for 2023 on Taylor. Maybe he's not as high as the 104 as I have him, but I do think the 110 where you have him probably a little bit too low, but to just give the list of what we have for this 204 spot, Sean, you have CMC, Jefferson cup, Tyreek Hill, Travis, Kelsey, Eckler, Barkley, ETN Diggs, Jonathan Taylor, Jamar chase, Brees Hall, Jalen Waddle, AJ Brown, Ken Walker, and Mark Andrews. You can see how many good names there are there. I mean, who are you moving Taylor up ahead of? There's a lot of good players now. It, you know, right now as we're looking at it, that you can make a case for all 16 of those to be first-round picks. I have Jefferson Cup, CMC, Taylor, Etn, Tra- uh, Tyree Kill, Jamar Chase, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, Diggs, Barkley, Eckler, AJ Brown, Andrews, Kelsey, Waddle. It's uh it's I mean it's interesting that we had the same top 16. It's you know, the the big riser that has joined this group that we didn't have here, neither of us had here in the preseason, is Ken Walker. And he looks so good right now and has so much in front of him that I don't know. We have to spend a ton of time on that, but he's another one where I think drafters are gonna look at it from a talent-based perspective and say this guy is just incredibly good at football. Any other thoughts on the top 16 as we... I mean, I, I have A.J. Brown at 201. I wanted to have him in the first round. I do think drafters are going to be a little skeptical of pass volume there still, as good as he's been. He hasn't been the top scoring fantasy receiver or anything. Uh, I think it's justified to have him still back by the 1-2 turn. Anyone else that we didn't mention that, that is interesting to discuss here? Well, I think that Taylor and Hall
2: and kind of where you place them, I think that in many ways will be the big decision point for drafters next year because they both have such crazy upside. I've been above the market on Jonathan Taylor throughout. And so part of my position of him here is making sure that I'm not letting some of these previous picks, which I do feel like for the most part have paid off really well, are coloring it overly. I mean, obviously those things still factor in for me. I think that he is a generational talent. And I think as a pure runner, nobody here matches him. I don't think the injuries are going to be a big issue. One thing you didn't mention, which also moves him up, is that having Hines not there removes a stumbling block. One of the things that i talked about as a reason to consider him, even if CMC has a pretty good season and stays healthy, that Taylor could still match him, is that expectation that he would add receiving. He's had some games with some decent receiving numbers but the efficiency there has been so poor i think that that part is a little bit fluky and you know partly due to the quarterback for me having him at 110 is a reflection of the way this season i think will spill into next season a little bit and that this break or the massive separation between the haves and the have-nots is something that we have to be aware of in terms of what it can do to these individual players and just that the guys i like Ahead of him or have ahead of him, I like so much. I think that that group has become so exciting. Whereas last year, you know, maybe after the top four, after the top five, then you're searching a little bit. This first round in 2023 is going to be so much fun. One of our big regrets is that we don't have more Stefan Diggs. And yet, looking to next year, I have him with the 109. So just one spot ahead of right. Taylor. He can't even really move up that much. And so that part I think is really cool. And then with Hall, I, Pat and I have him in our Dynasty team. We're trying to decide if we should buy, if we should sell. We're kind of right in the middle in the standings. And we have both Hall and Jamar Chase. And so you're thinking, obviously, what could have been? But also, again, do you pivot to buying to try and get through that? Do you pivot to selling because you've lost some of your players? The thing that we had said, I mean, Pat mentioned to me, he's going to be the 102. I think he's going to be, and that's just even just next year. Brees Hall is going to be... The 101 within the next several seasons. So having him at the 112 for next year and having him behind someone like Jamar Chase, having him behind Taylor. I mean, I think you could put Taylor Taylor down to 112. I think you can have him at 104 where you have him. So I, I don't disagree yeah. with anything you yeah. said. I also think you could have him at 112 behind Chase and Brees Hall because Hall not being in the top two or three picks is purely because we don't know what he'll be in the
1: first half of next season. I have him. 108. You have him 112. It's a great point. We don't know how healthy he will be and there will be lessons learned from like the JK Dobbins and Cam Akers rehab and how that stuff lingered into the season as well. But he fits everything I was just saying about drafters learning lessons about talent and those types of things. Hall was really good when he was healthy. I think everyone understood that and bought that. Will be interesting to see how high he gets placed after the 204 you have another one of these really talented runners at 205 and it's, I had a really hard time with the aging running backs. I'm, I'm very interested to see how the market treats their age. I also was baking in a little bit that like, I don't know that Derrick Henry, who you have here, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, those guys are all going to be as good as they've been through the first half of this year through the rest of this year. So I'm projecting a little bit of maybe some injury or concerns down the stretch from them that show some of their age. You have Henry at 205. I have him at 212. You have Dalvin Cook at 209. I had him out. And we both had Kamara as one of our top players out, but like honorable mentions. We have several similar honorable mentions as well. But that aging running back group is a challenge. And uh, I I also have Mixon at 208. He's getting up there. I mean, this is obviously coming off this monster game, and I think a lot of excitement about Mixon right now that the efficiency kind of swung back. You don't have him in yours. Also don't have him in your honorable mentions. Probably no surprise. You've never been a huge Mixon guy. But this is a class of running back that has – I again, as we talk about the lessons that drafters might learn from 2022 – I think there's going to be – because outside Eckler there hasn't really been these monster seasons, I think there's going to be a little bit of weight put on the fact that these veterans that we knew were going to have projected workloads and were pretty good, even though they're older, they were still able to produce a decent amount. They're, they're still People are still going to want them, but I, I do think they're going to slip a little bit as well. And so trying to place them for me in the second half of this second round and, and questioning whether any of them could even rise to the top half of the second round or be in this top 16 group that neither of us had Henry or Camara or Cook that high. Was, that, that, was a, that was a tough decision for me. Henry
2: is such a unique player in that he doesn't fit at all what we want from a fantasy back. I mean, he's the exact opposite of a Christian McCaffrey or an Austin Eckler. He's old. He plays in an offense where You've got some real questions about the quarterback play, whether it's Tannehill, Willis, or even a potential third party. You're going to have questions about how that goes. And yet his ability to transcend is probably the most shocking and impressive thing that we have witnessed over the last several years, because every time that you say he can't do it, he not only does it, he takes it to the next step. He has the two week games to start the season, whether that's the Titans kind of finding their stride, whether it's him kind of coming back and getting comfortable off the injury, or more likely, whether it's just the fact that you actually are going to have some down games. And so it doesn't really make sense to say, oh, from week three on, but I'm going to say from week three on, he's averaging 25.4 points per game. He's just an unstoppable force. When you start to get above that 22 range, and certainly if you jump it by three points, then you are offering a scoring level that fantasy manager simply can't get any other way and it changes a team and your chances to not only win your league but win tournaments regardless of you know which one of those things is your objective the type of league you're playing in he is such a force but even if you then don't pick out some of the games you just go back to the beginning of last season 2021 and you include the games that he's been hurt in 22.6 points per game Now, some of those things are going to change, and and you're going to say it's going to fall. But one of the things with him in the middle of the second round is that there can be a decline. And one of the things we talk about, too, is that the reason you are leery of older players is that it's usually not a decline, right? It's a collapse. You don't want to be caught in the collapse. But the way Henry is playing, I mean, he can lose some off of that. And it's still going to be a big force for you. I think once it becomes a little bit more nebulous then one of the lessons from this season that people will apply, I probably still won't take him there, but I think point chasing and veteran chasing is going to be very much something that people return to next season to make sure they're just getting production from these very high leverage
0: picks. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
1: When we talk about age something season, we're typically looking at December 31st as a cutoff. Derrick Henry's birthday is January 4th. So when you you go to Pro Football Reference, it shows that it's his age 28 season. He turns 29. I mean, during the season, January 4th is still during the regular season. He'll be 29 heading toward 30 next season. The big question for him when you talk about how good he's been since the beginning of last season, this is something I was writing about in Stealing Signals last year and and being a little concerned about him. Honestly, you go back to 2019, his first real workhorse season. He averaged 20.2 carries per game, 1.2 receptions, 21.4 touches per game. Then he had the 2,000-yard season in 2020, just took it up a notch, even bigger, 397 total touches. We talked a lot about that. He went on and had a ton of touches in the postseason as well. But that was still only 23.6 uh, carries a game and only 1.2 receptions for 24.8 per game, just under 25. Last year, including the game that he got injured in, he averaged 27.4 carries a game, two and a half or two, 2.3 receptions per game, more than a full reception per game higher than his previous career high. That was 29.7 per game. This year, he's back down to 22.9, carries 1.8 receptions. That's 24.7 per game. It's closer to his 2020 workload. And yet when you say from that week three on, because in week one, he only had 21 touches, and in week two, he only had 13, you're talking about a stretch where up until this Kansas City game for five straight games, he had at least 25 touches in every game. He went over 33 of those five games. He only had 17 in the Kansas city game, still ran for 115 yards and two touchdowns. He's incredibly good. The concern for him, I think is that the, the workload took such a spike last year. And then as he's been productive again this year, it's the workload has taken a spike again. How much can he take? I mean, I don't want to question it too much because he's Derek Henry He's such a beast, but he's 28 turning 29 and as he started to be productive again this year and score at that level you're talking about, it's because he's getting 25-plus touches in every game. Can he do that the rest of this year even? Can he do that through all of next year in a season that he will turn 30 at the end of the year? We know that's sort of the you know the death knell for running backs. That's going to be talked about in the offseason. People are going to chase the points to some degree, like you said. People are going to say that Derrick Henry is unbreakable, even knowing that he got hurt last year, especially if he makes it through 2022 healthy it's going to feel like he can do it again in 2023. I think I'm with you almost entirely, but it's going to be a big question about can he be a 25-plus touch-a-game guy for the rest of this year, for all of next year? At what point does that cliff come? Because like you said, it doesn't just slowly decline usually. It often is a cliff, unfortunately. It's not something we're rooting for. Derrick Henry, as you said, and I've come to appreciate him a ton in Stealing Signals. Readers will know that. I was against him quite a bit for years. But last year before he got hurt and I was talking about this increase in workload, I was also comparing him to like Jim Brown. You know, like this, this is one of the most incredible stretches of running back play that we've ever seen. It's so dominant. He is so good and deserves all the accolades possible. It's, it just is tricky to, to figure out what he's going to be able to take in terms of a workload, how many hits he has still on his legs and in his body he doles out a lot of those hits. He's a different guy, right? He doesn't get hit up very hard by a lot of people, so maybe he can do it through all of next year. Maybe he can do it till he's 33. I mean, we've seen guys do that. We saw Adrian Peterson continue to play uh, you know, well into his 30s, not necessarily effectively, but that was a guy who was a big physical running back, was able to play a lot longer than most running backs can. When you're a generational time, I think Derrick Henry still going to be playing football at 33 years old. I just don't know that he's going to be you know, an elite fantasy back by that point. When does it fall off between now and then? Because he's, I mean, when I say he's going to be playing at 33, it's because he's so big. He's still going to be able to get a job running for 3.8, 4.2 yards per carry, whatever it is. He's not going to be an elite efficiency guy, but he's going to
2: punish defenses still at 33 if he wants to. And it's kind of one of these funny things where you have all the puff pieces in the offseason and you have the best shape of their life and this and that and the other. But one of the ones that I found kind of interesting and has seemed to play out was during training camp for the titans and they're like this guy is bigger and more athletic than he's ever been coming off of this injury you, you mentioned that he deals out the punishment and doesn't take a lot of him. he's like if i got my shoulders square then i'm gonna hit you and you're gonna not just go down but you're just gonna get out of the way because you don't want to take it if you get me around the legs i'm just gonna go down and live to fight another play <laughs> so it's like you're not gonna get me around the legs too often but I've got it figured out in terms of what I need to do to break off these massive runs as a big back. I mean, Derrick Henry is a big back who runs like a small guy. And I mean that in the best possible way, in that his ability to see the hole, slither through it, and then run downhill, as opposed to some of these big backs who kind of shoulder their way up to the line and want to break five tackles before they cross the line of scrimmage. Like, no, go break those tackles in the secondary. That's what Derrick Henry does. So.
1: Just a fantastic player to watch. It's a great point. Um, the rest of the second round, you have Henry at 205. I have him at 212. I mentioned you have Devonta Adams at 206. I have him at 210. We both have those guys in there. I have CeeDee Lamb at 205, in part because he's been getting a lot of work. and I, I think there's going to be you know, some regression and some production the rest of the way. Probably too high on him, though um you had him at 212 but we had a player that you had missed so he got bumped and so he was your top player that missed those are all players that are in this mix we have chubb in the back half of the uh, second round both of us i have him at 209 you have him at 210 but the big discussion i think in the back half of the second round that's presented by WinBet. Sign up today to receive a special offer, bet $100, win $100. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Is the discussion of how high are the quarterbacks going to go? And we have Josh Allen in our second round, both of us. I have him at 207. Now, this is interesting because he has the UCL injury now, and we don't know where he's going to be at health wise at this time next year or, or in August next year. But I have him at 206. I don't know if I mentioned DeAndre Swift yet, but I, I have, excuse me, I have De, uh, DeAndre Swift at 205. You have DeAndre Swift 206. I have Allen 206. You have Allen 207. We both have Allen one spot behind DeAndre Swift. You also have Patrick Mahomes at 212, which you mentioned a minute ago. I do not have Mahomes in, and I don't even have him in my honorable mentions. The way I'm viewing this is Josh Allen is going to be a second round pick. But the other quarterbacks are going to start to come into play in the late third. I've heard people talk about Allen as a one-two turn guy. Neither of us had him that high. We talked about this top 16 at the other positions that looked really strong. And neither of us even had him 205 necessarily. We had some other guys that we were willing to put ahead of him. But certainly we both still have him in the second round comfortably. We have Mahomes at 212. How do you feel the drafters are going to respond to what we've seen at the quarterback position this year and and i guess particularly it, the allen thing seems to be sort of consensus at this point that he's going to be sort of a second round pick but what are your thoughts on mahomes there at 212 mahomes is going to always be a little bit more controversial
2: because he doesn't bring that extra rushing value and you say that after a game where he just wills the chief to victory and the possession where they score and convert the two-point conversion at the end so much of that comes via his legs so we know that there are going to be a few games in there is it going to add up to enough total points to be competitive that's always the question i think partly what you're going to see is that drafters emphasize this combination of a halves team and a superstar talent in such a way that it does pull him into that group especially now that we have more concerns about the pass volume for the Eagles, the pass volume for the Ravens and the competency of the Arizona Cardinals. I think that the other group of, re- of quarterbacks that you obviously want to target would be Murray, Jackson and Hertz. I think that those guys will go kind of in that range that you talked about. I think that Joe Burrow is so good and his passing weapons are so good that all I have to do is get a few little things figured out on that offensive line And even though they haven't done it so far, it is going to eventually happen that he's going to be someone who's sort of a perpetual value, despite the fact that his profile is more similar to Mahomes. But but if we go back through the last three years now and a three-year period where Josh Allen has absolutely dominated, you're looking at him playing 41 games, Patrick Mahomes playing 40 games. Allen has averaged 28 points per game. Mahomes has averaged 27. There's not this big gap between them and i don't think that they should be and also that's more or less where they are this year just a point higher there's not that big gap between them Mahomes is so good and that's the reason that if you look at these rotavis triflex dynasty startups you look at all of your superflex dynasty startups they're the 101 and the 102 and there's a gap to the next person one of the things that was kind of weird to me about this season with herbert's price is that he was clearly the third guy when you're looking at dynasty startups It didn't really make sense when you look at the quality of their respective weapons that he should have been going as much earlier as he was in some drafts this year. The fact that Mahomes has been able to score the way he's scored, the fact that the Chiefs have completely and totally embraced where they are with their offense and that their pass rate is so crazy, even within a context where they're usually winning. But they will have some games like this, too, where you you have to chase you throw a few of those games in where you have a, a 40 to you know 50 point potential spike game, and this game could have been even more points for him. And then you have that floor, you have the consistency, and he's doing it in a season where their wide receivers are not getting the job done. Imagine where we go if Kadarius Tony or Sky and Moore or both, they don't have to emerge as stars, but it would just emerge as like legitimate NFL starters. I I always try to avoid him in drafts because I don't want my Chiefs' enthusiasm. You know, Growing up in Kansas City, attending all these games in Arrowhead, I don't want to... Number one, I want to hit the end of the elite QB tier as opposed to the beginning. I don't want to make big mistakes because I'm a fan of a team, but I really strongly feel like Mahomes now, the argument is there for him. One of my bold predictions before the season was that he was going to lead the NFL in passing and the chiefs are going to lead the nfl in scoring despite losing tyree kill i mean they're they're in the mix to do those things i i thought the receivers would have to play better for him to do that but they don't i mean he's just that good
1: that's a great point what i hear from you though saying that he's going to go around there and hertz and jackson murray those guys might be in that late third range that i was talking about is that i'm gonna have a lot of trey lance again next year <laughs> we'll see how it shakes out but i do think all of these QBs going this high. It'll be interesting because the, the the ideas and the principles that you can still get quarterback production from later in the draft will, will still be true. I don't think that means in in the sort of modern NFL that you can get it from the 15th round or later because of the dual threat ceilings and the things that we know about what these guys can bring. And we have a pretty good idea of what offenses are going to be good, frankly, and and have the ability to, to be pass first. And we talk about pass right over expected and, so even Mahomes, as you mentioned on our last show, maybe it shouldn't be thought of as a dual threat quarterback. We do know that his team's going to throw a ton, and he's very, very good, and they're, they're going to score a lot of points. There's things that we can rely on, and yet, I mean, you look at Jalen Hurts, right, he was, what, QB6, QB7 this year and has been as good as he's been. I'm not saying that I'm going to be waiting until the 15th round, but I do think there's going to be an argument to wait on the try to find the next breakout quarterback that has this type of ceiling in their future. I mentioned Lance. We we don't even know if Lance is going to be in line to start next year, unfortunately, based on what's happened, but there will be players like him that I think still have profiles that, that you can argue or burrow you said is potentially perennially, perennially undervalued that will have the potential to play to a top five quarterback level and be relatively strong in terms of replacement points. I'm not saying I'm going to fail all of the early quarterback stuff if this happens, but you're talking about five quarterbacks, maybe in the top 40 picks or so, in the top three and a half rounds when you laid it out that way. And I don't think you're crazy, but if that happens, I mean, I'm comfortable still waiting until that seventh round range that we were in a lot this year in drafts. Or depending on where guys land, ninth or 10th round, maybe, you know, I'm guessing Trey Lance, if he is a starter, is going to be a 10th or later round pick these guys that have the potential to perform like those guys, and this is a position still where guys can make that leap. I'm comfortable waiting, I think, as opposed to committing this much in terms of draft capital to lock down quarterback in terms of trying to build that ceiling T. And you mentioned waiting
2: the QB window finished with Justin Fields and Tua. And in their own ways, those guys have been huge hits. The problem with Fields, <laughs> because of... The sequence, you might have drafted Fields and not have him. We have a a team that is, you know, right on the edge of the playoffs. And as I was going through our potential waiver pickups this week, it's like, oh, yep, there's one of them where we did drop him. (laughs) We would love to have him now in a managed league. Tua, I think, an example of, you know, so many things that go right or go wrong. Injuries are going to play a big role. You have maybe a guy with peripherals where it doesn't come through and you miss, sometimes you just miss, a lot of times the things that you're clearly wrong about in terms of how the season plays out, when you think about how you would do it again, you're like I probably wouldn't change. One of the things that I do think is a somewhat straightforward mistake on my part would be, and I even talked with Blair about this before the season. I'm just like, I can't get behind Tua because there are so many red flags in terms of the production but to draft Tyree Hill and Jalen Waddle at the volume I did where I drafted him, I mean, you kind of have some Tua exposure because those things are connected. And so when we look toward 2023, if there are plays like that, I think that you have to structure at least some of your teams that way. When you look at this season and you feel that angst about being on players and teams where the team itself just doesn't let it happen, I think that there's a reason to play some of your teams through the elite QB. So you have that exposure, but when you're talking about winning tournaments and building the best possible team, you could have a Tua fields team for more or less free. And that gives you so much more that you can do to hit on stars and to take some risks early, to have your ETN, to have your Brees Hall. Now again, Brees Hall got hurt, but you think about those teams that are built that way and what they can do If they then have the late round quarterback, I believe pretty strongly in structural drafting at QB, but structural drafting with that secondary layer of having certain player targets that you think are poised to massively outperform. And when those two things come together,
1: I think that does still beat the early QB. Yep. I'm right there with you. The rest of the second round for both of us. I'm just going to read them off here. I mentioned a few of the names that we both have, but you went from 205 on Derrick Henry, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Swift, Josh Allen, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, DeAndre Hopkins, Patrick Mahomes. A lot of vets in there for you. I went CeeDee Lamb, DeAndre Swift, Josh Allen, Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, Devontae Adams. Garrett Wilson snuck in for me, Derek Henry at the end. Wilson and Lamb are the two for me that didn't make yours that are in. For you, the ones that are in that didn't make it in for me were Hopkins and Mahomes. I mentioned Mahomes. Hopkins was on my, my first names out. Among the names that we had out, we both had Kamara listed. You have Wilson listed right here. We both had Ramondre Stevenson listed. We both had Chris Alave listed. You also have, uh, in sort of like a second tier, it looks like, Sean, uh, Aaron Jones, Jalen Hurts, Javante Williams, and some rookies as potentials to come in. I had Damian Pierce thrown in at the end of my list of, you know, maybes and uh, T Higgins as well. Still potentially kicking around there, but probably not actually a real threat to be in the top two rounds. So pretty similar, even in the back half of the second round with guys like Chubb, Adams, Henry, Allen, Swift, all making it. And Mick, uh, no, excuse me. Mixon was the other one that I had and you did not have. Um, but several of those players there were overlap on. Another thing I was looking at as, as as I talked through earlier, us having the same top 16, this is kind of a small point, but I noticed from 201 to 204, those four slots, we both had in some order A.J. Brown, Waddle, and Mark Andrews in that four slot range, which meant that we had 11 of the same in the top in the first round. Um the one difference being Ken Walker for me in and and in the early second for you Travis Kelsey for you in and in the early second for me, but our first rounds both had Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill, Jamar Chase, and Diggs at receiver, and both had McCaffrey, Taylor, who you were lower on. I'm kind of reading off my list here: Etn, Hall, uh Barkley, and Eckler. So a lot of overlap there. Six running backs, five receivers that we both thought were were first round picks next year. Definitely a very interesting exercise. Stevenson was one that I gave long thought to, but was like ultimately doesn't fit. I I, I thought it was interesting to, to see him right at there, right there for you as well. You had we mentioned bumped Lamb out, had Kamara one name ahead of him in terms of your first names out, but looks like you were really close on Stevenson as well. He's one of the few guys where. I wrote about this in Signals this week. We talk in the offseason about these upside profiles, and for him it was he could be a three-down back. He's got a good receiving profile from college. He was good in his rookie year as a receiver. Maybe it takes a Damian Harris injury. It sort of did, but also when Harris came back, we don't know necessarily how healthy. Stevenson stayed in that role, and Harris was sort of working now as the second. They kind of had flipped who was the lead there. Harris hurt again, obviously, this past week. But we're seeing from Stevenson this ability to play on all three downs And hit the basically the exact upside template that we talked about one of the things that that made me think about was sort of how rarely we actually see those things come to fruition but it's been kind of cool for him that the ways that he has hit are really the exact ways that we described we for example talked about josh jacobs another guy who's been performing very well being one where the market was wrong on his receiving role and also wrong on his talent and there wasn't really a lot of talk about this particular upside outcome where both of those things would be wrong. It's something that we didn't even expect. Stevenson is one of the ones where, and the rare ones. And for me, it was sort of a humility based uh, reaction and and reflection is one of the rare ones where something that we actually talked about being the upside scenario did hit in, in really the exact sort of way that we would have thought it might. But so often a player gets injured and the player behind him doesn't necessarily come through the way we would want or uh, other layers or other elements can be different than what we would have talked about in August during the off season. But Stevenson's going to be going to be up there next
2: year. He is, and he really is kind of that Leonard Fournette profile, but with talent, and <laughs> so then and an elite talent, right? We talked about him as being the guy who could get you Javante Williams production at a discount. Sadly, Williams injured. There are still some structural things that could be problematic going forward, including the Patriots offense. But I think another part of this that is a hit is we said don't worry about the Patriots offense the way so many people seem to. Now, does that mean they have no problems? No. But it still was an environment in which a player like that, both with his talent profile and the potential usage profile, which has come to fruition, He can do that. I think he's right there at the edge. My other couple guys would be Liam and then Mixon. Mixon, I did have in in a moment, and he just gets completely wiped away as I did a few of these changes. It probably is not the case, but I just think that if the Bengals put a talented player there, it would do for them what putting any kind of like legitimate NFL running back in Kansas City would do for the Chiefs. I think that's a potential move they could make, even though the contract and some of those other Things. I mean, they seem very happy with him, so that's probably not going to happen. The two guys that I have in my list that I think are at the most risk are Dalvin Cook and Nick Chubb. Chubb has been so good, and I think that when players are drafting in that range, they're going to want the talent and the points. But in order to convince people that that's the case, he's going to have to continue to score. Which, when you're reliant on putting up these consistent games with four and five fantasy points over expectation, even for Nick Chubb who does things nobody else can do. That's tough. Dalvin Cook, I think, needs to come on. The Vikings offense needs to come on. I'm I'm excited to see how these young guys go. I mean, I think there's a chance that Chris Olave finishes well enough that he ends up ahead of Garrett Wilson. I do think that you're going to have definitely one and possibly two rookies in there, but that's not really what this exercise is about, talking about the rookies for next season,
1: but they're going to be in the mix and that's going to make the third round stronger. i mean we're we're talking about a scenario where this depth that we were talking about through the first two rounds for next year being stronger than last year, I think it's going to extend to the to the end of the third round as well, especially with the quarterbacks mixed in there. We talked a lot this draft season about the first half of the third round being a lot better than the back half of the third round and how around that you know thirty overall player range, there was a there was a pretty big tier break, right after, AJ Brown was going in that early third for a while, but DJ Moore was a guy we thought was probably ahead of that tier break. But right after those those receivers, things started to fall off in the back half of the third round. You had to think about Mike Williams or Cortland Sutton. Some of those profiles, not necessarily as exciting. I, I, when you start talking about the rookies as well, and these names that we have as near misses, and Cook is the, the third one I, as I was going through, I was trying to figure out, because I figured out Mixon. Uh, on my end, but it was the third one you had that I had in my near misses. But some of these guys towards the back of the second round, you had in, and I had in my near misses, vice versa. Obviously, that stretches into the early part of the third round. And then you start talking about these rookies. Talk about the young players. You mentioned Olave potentially being ahead of Wilson. I mean, I'm just excited that I was higher on Garrett Wilson than you. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, Garrett Wilson is a superstar. Like, I know you agree with that. His numbers probably not going to support him getting there to 211. So I, imagine that's why you didn't have him in there, but he's, he's going to go high. I mean, we, we saw it like with CD lamb this past year with waddle with some, I mean, he's going to have the yards per run and all of those elements that people are going to say, this is a second year receiver. We want to be in on, I, I think two is very possible for him probably more in the third round based on where the jets are at as a team this year. And then also potentially next year. I mean, it'll depend. Maybe they bring in a great quarterback upgrade through the draft or through some other, some, some other Avenue, but you look at these near misses, there's some strong names here. It's going to be deep even into the third round, well into the third round. Drafts next year are going to be, I mean, they're going to be fun. Yeah, and you have Higgins on your list. He's not
2: someone who's going to fall quite as far as Jalen Waddle fell this offseason because there are less questions about the quarterback play. And obviously, two has been able to answer those in a magnificent way. We think to next season, and you had Chase higher than I did, which I think could easily be correct, not even necessarily in terms of where people draft him, but where they should draft him and what he will do. If we look at this point next year, if we fast forward to when you and I are having this kind of fun discussion in 2023, we might be having the discussion amidst a season where Jamar Chase is the wide receiver one and T. Higgins is the wide receiver five, and nobody will find that strange at all.
1: No, that's a great point. Some other players we didn't really mention. I mean, I mentioned Pitts earlier. I just made a joke that I'm going to have a ton of Trey Lance next year, Sean, with how strong it's going to be through the third round, through the fourth round. We're going to get tight end premium Kyle Pitts in like the fifth round next year. And I'm just going to have an absurd amount of Kyle Pitts as well. Again, it's uh, not going to be good for my sanity or my health, but I'm comfortable with it. I've already a, I've come to grips with it.
2: Do you have a, a projection on who the, the Falcons quarterback is going to be for that?
1: Falcons play. <laughs> Literally anyone else. I also need the, the head coach to be somebody different. So it's gonna take a few things. You're already trying to get me to, to to reconsider how much pits I'm gonna try to talk you into next year, which I uh I think you're smart to to at least reflect on some of the things that have caused Concerns for him this year, even if they aren't him, that they could continue to impact the way that he scores fantasy points in the future, which is what we want. It doesn't matter how good we think he is, we want fantasy points. Well, I want him to see, I want to see him make some plays
2: too. I'm going to be less concerned about the final line because we know that the peripherals are going to be there. We know the age is going to be there. We know the rookie season is still going to be there. We know that him being like the top non quarterback drafted in his entire draft class is still going to be there. But we want to answer. Some of the questions about him where he's able to overcome adversity right because it's boring and frustrating as a player to be in a run first offense where you're not getting that many targets i mean drake london and kyle pitts are having such a poor time that when pitts scored in week eight they celebrated like they just won the super bowl and it was because one of them got to catch a touchdown pass right so it's it's tough on the players and if we can see them overcome that adversity with some big plays down the stretch, I think that would be encouraging. It'll also be a matter of there are so many sharp drafters that even with the response, he's not going to be free. Does he, even with the backlash, I should say, he's not going to be free. Is he in the third round? Is he in the fifth round? That'll make a difference. I mean, there's a point at which you gonna be like, yeah, I'm having a huge amount of Kyle Pitts because I mean, is he going to go through multiple seasons without being a league winner? Maybe. I mean, the, the teams yeah. can be bad for a long time. The Indianapolis Colts. Everything that they've said in the last week leads you to believe that they're about to embark on a stretch of incompetency that could be epic. Which, you know, again, probably factors into my mild concern for Jonathan Taylor, who, again, I think is one of the the best players that we're going to ever get to see. So, hopefully, it won't matter for him.
1: And this has been awesome. I'm just looking at our list from August and some of the names that we didn't mention or bring up. Uh, I said a few at the top of the show, but like you had Drake London in the second round. Obviously we just kind of discussed him. I did not have him in there, but pretty sure I had him in the you know first out. Gabe Davis, Jerry Judy. I had Chris Godwin in there and DJ Moore. I mean, those are all Players that you can see potential bounce backs for, you also can probably pretty quickly and easily understand why we didn't have them. I had Sutton in, you had Judy, and we talked about that in August, how we went different ways with the Broncos. But you can look at those wide receivers and see ways or reasons that we might not have been uh, on them here in this exercise in-season, but they're also still going to be big parts of the you know the future middle rounds of, of fantasy drafts. Debo Samuel is another name we never mentioned he's I think probably an omission by us and neither of us to have him in the honorable mentions kind of out of mind a little bit considering, you know, he didn't play and then, and then had to buy. And hasn't. we haven't seen him in a couple of weeks and when we're doing this exercise, I'm sure it's true for you. It's, it's definitely true for me. I'm, I'm looking at the top point scores and things and looking for names that way, but he uh, was in your second round. It looks like I didn't even have him in my, my top two rounds in the preseason, but, that's a guy who's obviously incredibly talented and depending on what their quarterback situation is and where they are with McCaffrey and all these other things um, is going to be in this discussion as well. Obviously
2: he will. And we want to be in on the talent. We want to let that break in our favor as seasons progress. You can definitely imagine a scenario where he stays a little bit healthier. A different guy gets dinged up. He and Christian McCaffrey go off together. I do think that, You also have to be open to when some of the parts of the thesis against him are manifesting themselves to not simply ignore that. One of the things preseason is that you don't know if those things are going to or not, and you want to play it at a price where it kind of works both ways, where it's a small loss, a big win. If it starts to move into the small loss category at the price, then you're not going to make any big changes to a guy who has anchored himself in this elite talent category and is probably going to be an offense that is good. And one of the things about the offense is that even though they have struggled at times this year, Garoppolo or Lance, you're expecting this with Kyle Shanahan in charge to be very competent and really go in a positive direction going forward, even if, there are still some things that have to happen and we have questions about Lance. And so I think that there are positives that mitigate some of the negatives. I think that Debo is still someone you want to have in dynasty. I think if you can buy him low, you want to do that. I think he's going to be a good part of your 2023 team. I probably would consider him ahead of some of the veteran running backs that I had in there. At the same time, I am lower on him now than I was previously.
1: Right. Yeah. I agree with both of those. Yeah, this is a fun show. This is always a really fun exercise, and I think the the listeners are great. We always hear great feedback, so we appreciate that you guys enjoy it as much as we like doing it. Um, yeah, it's been a blast, and we will be back with you a little bit later in the week to talk about the Thursday night game, to talk
2: about some of the matchups in Week Ten as fantasy managers, especially in FFPC formats, are pushing down the stretch to the playoffs in normal formats you have a little bit more time but week 10 a lot of buys again if you built your team to dominate the buys you're kind of looking forward to this opportunity to show what your depth can do you've needed to at least get a tiny bit of health luck you can get your depth (laughs) eviscerated pretty quickly if you're really hit by injuries but i'm looking forward to these next couple of weeks as some of the contingency based plays like a walker like an etn you have guys ascending that have now changed teams i can't wait so this has been stealing bananas i am sean siegel with me as always is ben gretch who you can follow at yards per gretch sign up for ceiling signals i do want to mention we mentioned in the last show but ben is going to be doing a cool special edition of it this coming week you don't want to miss that sign up for stealing lines join us over at rotoviz You can get 10% off with the discount code rbradio 2022 That's for our radio listeners, of which you all definitely qualify. Subscribe to the feed. Leave us a rating and review. Throw in a comment on YouTube. All of those things help us. You guys are the best. We'll talk to you soon.